Shalom to everyone. I want to share with you an amazing idea on this week's Torah portion that's related to this very special Shabbos that is known as Shabbos Nachamu, which means the Shabbos of consolation. Nachama means consolation after Tisha B'Av, which is the national day of mourning for the Jewish people. We have a Shabbos of consolment where we move on and pick ourselves up after the destruction. And it's also no day, no, related to an amazing holiday, that little-known holiday that falls out this week, this year in Shabbos, known as Tish Tuba'av. Tisha B'Av, which is the ninth of the month of Av, uh, is the day of mourning. Tuba'av is the 15th of the month of Av, and that is a national day of celebration, specifically celebrating finding one's soulmate. It's a day in Jewish history when uh, traditionally... Uh, it said, the Talmud says that Jewish girls would go out and dance in the fields and the vineyards, and the Jewish boys would go out and uh, they would, it said, the Talmud says they would, the girls would say, lift up your eyes and, uh, and decide who you want to marry. And uh, it's a little bit of a strange thing because in Judaism, we don't get married based on looks. We get married based on values, common goals. Uh, spiritual connection, character traits. So it's very interesting, this, this, this idea, and I want to address that as well. So um, we've talked about this idea in the past in previous years, but I want to expound on it this year, and that was an amazing new insight. So this week's Parsha begins, the Parsha is called Ve'es Hanan, and uh, the word Ve'es Hanan means to to pray or to beseech, to supplicate. And it talks about Moshe, Moses, supplicating, praying to God to enter into the land of Israel. And uh, the the commentaries explain that the word Ve'es Hanan is the numerical value of the number 515. And the Talmud explains that Moshe prayed to enter the land of, of Israel 515 times, and he was denied. And the Talmud says, had he tried one more time, 516th time, he would have been allowed to enter into the land of Israel. So we learn from this the importance of never, never try, stopping, never quitting. You never know when that prayer is going to tip the skills and help you to find that thing that you so much desire in your life. So, but it's interesting. The commentaries Rashi points out that the word Be'as Hanan comes from the Hebrew word Chinam, which means free. Chinam. Um, the root of the word Chinam um, is really the word Chain. Chain means beauty or charm, but really denotes the idea of a free gift. Chinam. And Rashi says that even though Moshe could have prayed to enter the land of the of Israel based upon his merits and his good deeds. Instead, he asked for a free gift. Uh, it's interesting. What's the idea of, of when we pray for something, having in mind that we we don't deserve it and asking for it as a gift instead of something based upon our our merits? There's also an interesting correlation between the idea of chinam, this word chinam, which means free, and the time of year that we're that we're in right now. Tishabav, the Talmud tells us, commemorates the destruction of the first and second temple. And the Talmud tells us that the second temple was destroyed uh, 
because of a failure on the part of the Jewish people. We always look at the spiritual roots of why things happen. Historically, nothing is a coincidence. And the Talmud says the reason the second temple was destroyed was uh, not like the first temple. The first temple was destroyed because the Jewish people are actually doing bad things. We were committing the three worst sins, murder, adultery, idolatry. It was no question that the temple was destroyed. But the second temple, we were studying Torah. We had good deeds. So why was the second temple destroyed? The Talmud says because of something called sinas chinam, which means baseless hatred or free hatred. We hated each other for no reason. Now, you might think there's always a reason to hate someone, right? I hate you because you, I don't like the way you dress. I don't like your politics. Or I don't like the way you look. Or I don't like something you did. So occasionally there might be reason, but usually there's no reason. Because those things that we just stated, most of them do not have a reason. Just because of your politics or the way you look or the way you dress, it's not a reason to hate you. So it's, it's grounds for me to learn to understand you because we're different. That's the way the world is created. So, um, baseless hatred. Again, this word chinam. And the Talmud says the source of Tisha B'Av being that day that's set aside for tragedy Jewish in the Jewish, Jewish history is actually based on another uh, historical event that took place when the Jewish people uh, sent spies when they were in the desert to check out the land of Israel. And the spies came out and they spoke badly about the land of Israel. And the Talmud says, because we cried, tears that were free, or again, baseless tears. The day, on that day, on Tisha B'Av, which was the day the spies came back, and they said over these bad things about the land of Israel, the Jewish people started crying. The Talmud says, because of that, God says, I'm going to give you something to cry about forever on this day. Now, Again, the word chinam, free. Now, um, I think that, that that statement is a little bit problematic to say that God, it's God, it makes God sound very vindictive. Because you cried for no reason, I'm going to give you something to cry about. It does not sound particularly nice. But uh, I think uh, the explanation of that, just as an aside, is that God is really saying that we cried for the wrong reason. He's going to give us a day to learn what tears are meant for. Tears can, can be in vain, or tears can be from a very deep place, uh, coming from a place of, that desires true connection. And tears can, can be a, a tremendously productive thing, crying, when it's coming from a deep place within and crying over things that really matter. But that's an aside. So what's the idea of this free stuff, this free free tears, free hatred, free gifts. So as Jews, we, let's be honest, we like free stuff. Okay, not going to lie. We like deals, right? They, uh, you ever find yourself buying something that you absolutely don't need because it's on sale? In fact, you might buy two or three because it's on sale. Um, the, someone told me a joke that when, when, a, when a Jew comes to comes comes out out with a new tie he says uh he says this tie goes for a hundred dollars i bought it for 50. he's very proud of himself on the other hand when a non-jew buys a tie he's proud of the fact that he spent more for the tie because that shows the value 
So why are we so into free stuff? You know, in 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 the in the diaspora outside the land of Israel, Jews have to live a little bit undercover. We we can't be too Jewish publicly, and because of that, whenever I'm uh, outside of a metropolitan area and there aren't so many Jews around, I often ha- wear a baseball cap. If if uh, you know, occasionally, you know, maybe I you know I feel uncomfortable when I'm in in a in a very non-Jewish area where I feel they might be judging me or might be anti-Semitic. And if I have to go into a store or a gas station, I, I, in the past, I've put on a baseball cap because inevitably I know that I'm going to portray some sort of a, an anti-Semitic trope. I'm going to uh, ask them how much an item costs. And then when they tell me the price, I probably will not buy it. And they're going to think, oh, those cheap Jews, you know? And so because I know my nature, I uh, I don't really want to go around making what's called a chil Hashem. People thinking that Jews are you know are bad. I, I I bring I wear that. I often have that baseball cap in the car just in case I make uh you know sometimes I try to drive correctly and follow the laws. But every once in a while you forget to get over in the shoulder, in the in the you know on the on the exit ramp, and suddenly you find yourself having to cut through like hundreds of people to get onto the ramp, you know right before the exit. And uh, I don't want people thinking those Jews, those those dirty Jews are bad drivers. They cut the line. And so uh, every once in a while, I pull out that that baseball hat to, uh, you know, so that I don't do something wrong publicly. And of course, as a Jews, we should try not to do things wrong publicly ever. But uh, don't definitely in the case where you have to do something, uh, have to cut the line because you made a mistake on the road. So I'll throw on that that cap. Somebody said to me. You know, Rabbi, with you wearing a baseball cap, like everyone still knows you're Jewish. So like you're not really doing much. So I definitely hear that. But anyway, in Israel, where Jews are free to live as Jews, where everyone's Jewish. So we're a little bit more open with our with our inclinations towards uh, towards being frugal. Uh, The supermarket names in Israel are just an amazing example of this. There's a supermarket chain in Israel called Zol, which means cheap. There's another one called Zol Ubagadol. Big and cheap. There's another called Superzol, super cheap. Okay, now that's just supermarkets. There's a pizza place that I've seen called uh, Pizza Kamat Chinam, pizza that's almost free. Pretty good, all right. And then my favorite of all is a pizza place um, in Jerusalem that that at least existed uh, ten years ago when I lived there, called Pizza Mamash Chinam. Pizza, really f- free. So I went into the pizza store. I said, can I have my free pizza? They said, no, no, it costs 10 shekels. I said, what do you mean? False advertising. Pizza. It says pizza, really free. Anyway, what's we love free stuff. There's only one issue. And that's that according to the Talmud, our soul hates free stuff. In fact, the whole history of the creation of the universe has to do with the fact that our souls were created despising free gifts. And because of that, the Talmud says that we have to earn our closeness to God. We have to earn our reward in this world. We have to go through this world of darkness and confusion and challenges in order for us to earn the next world through mitzvahs, through good deeds, through repentance, through refining our character and getting close to God. We have to earn our next world because the soul, therefore the soul, if the soul would be rewarded with the greatest goodness, 
without having earned it, it would have something called bread of shame. And that's the embarrassment that one feels when they get something that they didn't really deserve. So the reason this is hard for us to relate to is because we associate with our bodies. Our bodies love free gifts. Our bodies are inherently lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to earn. But the soul only really appreciates things that it acquires on its own. So uh, why did God create the world? Kabbalah teaches us God created the world in order to share with us the greatest possible goodness, to give, to share himself, because that's the greatest possible good. God wanted to give us the experience of closeness to him. So, so therefore, he created a world where we have to earn that closeness. The question you might ask is, why do we have to earn that closeness? Why does he just give it to us for free? The answer is, as we explained, because the soul hates free gifts. So another question we might ask, if we think about it with our Talmudic hats on, is, well, why did God make us such a way that we don't like free gifts? He should make us in a way that the soul appreciates free gifts, that we can appreciate good without experiencing bad, that we can appreciate reward without having earned it. So the answer is, is that if God created us with free gifts, there would be a major appreciating free gifts. And he just gave us a reward without us having to earn it. There would be a major issue. The reason the issue is as follows: that in the creation, the purpose of creation was that God could share goodness, the experience of Himself with others, for us to experience closeness to God. So, what does closeness to God mean? You can't be close to something that's infinite. So, how do we achieve closeness to God? And the answer is by being like God. God wanted us to experience being like him. And we do that through really in two ways. One is by connecting our mind to his mind, by learning Torah, and by doing mitzvahs, by doing his will, we become like him. But the other way is in our character, is by emulating God, becoming God-like, by refining our personality and learning to be like God. If we received our reward without having earned it, we would actually actually be the farthest thing possible from being godlike because god in relation to the universe is the ultimate giver there is nothing that we can ever do for god god is perfect god created the world just to give and therefore if we just received we would be infinitely the the, the takers and by by being a taker we would be the absolute opposite of God, and we wouldn't be able to experience the true pleasure of being God-like, closeness to God. So therefore, God gave us the opportunity to give to him, so to speak, through mitzvahs, through creating a world with a purpose that we can now do for him. We can learn to become givers, doing kindness for others, and doing mitzvahs for God that allows us to give to him. Now we can become, we can actually earn that reward. So, so the problem is that when we go through life thinking that we deserve goodness, so we're setting ourselves up for failure in all sorts of ways. The secret recipe for happiness in life is low expectations, knowing that we deserve nothing. We were put in this world the greatest possible gift the suffering, the struggles that we go through in this world are part and parcel with life. We need to go through hardship in order to earn our goodness. So if we have 
those low expectations, recognizing that we deserve nothing. So we'll always be pleasantly surprised when things go right. Because in fact, life is full of so much goodness. Even taking, not taking into account the next world, just this world, a day in the life, although it's full of hardship, and although we often see the challenges and the struggles and the negative, the reality is that the good far away is the bad. Because just a moment of breath is the greatest possible gift. A moment of enjoying and appreciating the food in this world, or a moment of having someone knowing that someone loves you or experiencing a success or being able to even pray or talk to the creator is such a gift. If we recognize that, if we had that right attitude, the attitude of gratitude, we would be jumping for joy every moment. The problem is that we often feel entitled to goodness and therefore we're always disappointed and we're always seeing the negative. So I actually had a, a client, therapy client the other day, who, who said to me that he's, he's very depressed because he knows based on his experience that things usually don't work out right. And he said he's pretty sure that in the next 10 years, it's probably going to get diagnosed with a terminal illness and that things are probably going to go, you know, the economy is going to keep getting worse and there'll probably be world, world war and another pandemic. He said, so why, why should he set himself up for failure? of being disappointed, he should prepare himself now by being depressed about it now. So I asked him, you know, does that really make sense? Like, do you think that when, God forbid, disaster strikes and you lose a loved one or you, uh, or you get diagnosed, God forbid, with a terminal disease, do you think preparing for it now is going to actually help you in the future? The answer is no. We can never be prepared emotionally for the hardships that befall us in the future. If there's something you can do to prepare, great. If you can prepare by saving money or putting aside uh, uh, food or something, great. So prepare. But in most cases, there's nothing you can really do to prepare. And therefore, why should you worry about the future now or be depressed about the future now if, number one, we don't know if the future is going to end up that way and hopefully things will turn out okay because they usually do. And number two, you're not only going to lose that future when things actually go wrong, but you're also losing your present when things really aren't that bad. And he said, I just, I just feel like most things are bad in my life. And I said, well, I want you to think about it. I want you to think about that attitude. Do you think that uh, you might not have the, great, the best job, but at least you have a good relationship with your wife? And uh, even if you're having a hard time in your relationship with your wife, at least you can appreciate you know, your, uh, your children or your house. And even if those things aren't going well, at least you can appreciate something. At least you can appreciate a cup of coffee. At least you can appreciate a sunset or a flower or birds chirping. There's always something we can appreciate in our life and we can be thankful for if we just shift our focus. Instead of focusing on the negative, but we don't have the glass half empty, focus on what you do have, the glass half full. Because at least the part of the cup that's full is something you can use and do something with. With the emptiness, there's nothing, there's no point in focusing on it because it's not there. So uh, I said to him, you know, based on his analysis, you would assume that pessimists are the happiest people in the world because they're always prepared for everything going wrong. They never are disappointed. 
So, um, and they're always, they're always uh, prepared for everything that might happen. The answer is, is that, of course, pessimists are not happier. In fact, based on uh, Google, uh, pe pessimists are, are more likely to be financially unsuccessful. The optimists are the ones that are always willing to try new things. They're always willing to take risks. They're always out there and experiencing and looking forward to new opportunities. And they're also happier. So what does that have to do with what I just said a second ago, that low expectations are the key to happiness? The answer is always look for the best. Yearn for the best. Have hope for a better future, yet don't expect it because you don't deserve anything. If we would internalize this, this teaching of looking that, that righteous people ask for free gifts, meaning they don't feel that they deserve anything good in their life, they see everything as a gift from God, so then our lives would be so much better. Because the source and the root of these free tears and this baseless hatred which destroyed the temple, is that we think things should go our way. I don't like what you said or what you believe or what you're doing because I think that things should go according to my vision of the world. But if I recognize I don't deserve anything, so everything you do is just an added benefit. So that, I believe, is the message of the Parsha. And this week's Parsha is called Shabbos Nachamu. What does Nachama mean? Nachama means consolation. How do we relate to this word? Nachem, Nachama, uh, the, the great Hasidic masters teach us that the first place a word appears in the Torah is the root of that word. So what is the word Nachama? The first time we find the word Nachama is in the first part of the Torah in Genesis. God says that he saw that the thoughts of man were bad all day. And he had, was Yenachem Hashem Ki Asas Adam. He regretted or he changed his mind, so to speak, at having created man. So the word Nechama means to change your mind, to change your perspective. When we are mourning a loss, it's because we see it as bad. We don't see the big picture. We don't recognize that everything God does is really for the good. In fact, according to Kabbalah, the greatest good things that come from the highest spiritual source have to come into the world, fall to the lowest places. The higher it comes from, the lower it falls. And therefore, the things that look bad are really even better than the things that are good. They just come from a place that we're not able to see the good yet. They're from a concealed place, which is an even higher world. So we think things are bad. That's why we, we mourn. But nachama, consolation, means changing our mind, changing our perspective, recognizing that everything God does is for the good. And that's how we get consolation. And it's interesting to note that, that what it says in this, in this verse is that God saw that the thoughts of man were bad all day that we saw the bad god says you have to change your mind change your perspective to see the good and the word nachama nachem is the same letters as chinam free 
because it's the other side of the coin of free. Just change your perspective of freeness. When you recognize that every gift in your life is a free gift, then you get away, you do away with the free tears and the free hatred. And it's just amazing to, to point out that the next verse God says, and then God decided to wipe out the world with a flood. For Noah, and Noah found chain in the guy's eyes of God. Noah is again based on the same two letters of chain. He found chain, which is the root of the word chinam, grace. He recognized that Noah was the person that was now going to change this negative thinking of, of, of mankind because he found chain, grace, in God's eyes. Or you could read that another way, that he found good grace, free gifts in in his eyes, that he found the free gifts of God in his eyes, that he was able to see that everything is a free gift. So what does that have to do with Tuba'av, with these girls going out and finding a soulmate and dancing? And they say to the boys, lift up your eyes. So the idea of lifting up your eyes means to don't look at the physical. It means lift up your physical eyes and see with your spiritual eyes. See deeper into, into our soul. And that's how you choose your soulmate. And that's that's the idea of tuba'av, is the celebrating the, the unity and the oneness that can be built in this world when we learn to see the positive in another through marriage and love when we recognize the goodness, we can actually build unity as opposed to destroying. And I want to perhaps suggest that that's the idea of Tuba'av. Tuba'av is numerical value 15, which is the root of the numerical value of the word in Hebrew, Ba'ahava, with love. With love. Av, the month of Av, is uh, the month of tragedy, national tragedy for the Jewish people. But the word Av means father. So the difference between a father and a stranger is that when a kid runs into the street, the strangers all, and almost gets hit by a car, the strangers look on with horror, but the father runs up to the kid and smacks him in the face. Never do that again. It's the father who sometimes has to punish us. We have to recognize that the month of Av, which means father, the root of that is really coming from, from love, with love that the root of the suffering and the tragedies in our life is love. It's just an opportunity for us to earn our closeness, earn our reward, earn our connection to God, and that the root ultimately of everything that God does is from goodness and from love. I want to wish you a beautiful Shabbos, connecting to the fact that everything in our life is a free gift. We don't deserve anything. When we really internalize that, then we can have tolerance for others. We can see the good even in the tragedies and the sufferings of our life. And we can utilize an opportunity to grow, to learn to see the good, to connect to others, connect ourselves, connect to God. Thank you so much for listening.